And now, enjoy this free Jason Modcast show. Public Life as an American Nerd. I am your host, David K. Montoya. Welcome back to another week filled with fun, fooled, nerdy news. Yes, that's what we all that's what we do here. Uh, we get down with the new the nerd news. I don't know, maybe I'll rebrand it and, and call it your local nerd news. No, 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 I'm just kidding. Uh, this week is actually, it's, it's, uh, pretty interesting because I sat down and for the first time in a long time, I was able to find articles that I felt were, uh, to the quality of story wise, um, or information wise that you guys deserve. You know, normally I, I think I, I've read about this all the time and it's just something that, <clears throat> you know, as as we progress closer to the end of the season, it's, it's just going to get worse for me because, you know, I have to constantly shuffle through everything. You know, all the, the nerd news that isn't really nerd. And, you know, and that's that's the thing. And I actually, I sat and thought about it probably a couple of days ago. And that is, we are paying the price to have... Our, our nerd accepted into popular culture. Um, you know, growing up and <laughs> being around for almost 44 years, nerds were always looked down upon. And just recently, in the last few years, they've become celebrated. And what we hold dear to us, you know, our, our nerd culture has been integrated into pop culture. And because of such, it's not the same nerd culture that we are accustomed to because the the people that dictate pop culture now dictates our culture, uh, you know, our nerd culture. And with that said, I and I do, I, obviously, if you can hear me saying it, I, I comprehend this completely. Um, doesn't mean I, I'm really yay about it at all, but it is what it is. And I, I always try to come to you every week with news that is about the content and not about anything else. But the subject matter, that to me is what is important, and that's why I present it to you. You know, uh, the character like Batman. You know, I, I give you Batman news, or I give you Star Wars news, or Mandalorian news, or you know, Justice League or Wonder Woman, or you know, that kind of thing. It's about the character. It's not about their gender. It's not about their race. It's not about their sexual preference or their political stance. It's about the character. And that's what I think you want to listen to is news about the characters that are being developed 
in cartoons, in movies, in animated movies, in comic books, and toy figures. You know, this is what I, I, I'm personally, you know, because I take a, a rule from writing, and writing 101 is write for yourself. And I take that and I adapt it to podcasting. So basically, I, I create a podcast show that I would like to sit down and listen to. And, you know, that's kind of the, the routine or the schedule or format that I would like. You know, I don't care about anything other than the character. So that's why I present it to you. Uh, the reason I say that is because I had a nice little email. And, um, you know, kind of saying that I don't really focus on the, the, how do I say this? Um, hmm. The orientation of the diversity. There we go. There's, there's the word they use, the diversity. Um, no, <laughs> I'm not going to talk about diversity. I'm going to talk about the characters because that's if you if you're hung up on the diversity, then there's a problem. And I'm going to say that. And I know it probably will hurt my numbers, but you know what? I gotta be true to myself. If you are a real nerd, you are in love with the characters, regardless of any of the you know labels or sub-labels that we as human beings like to place ourselves in. Um, you love the characters for them. You know, um, you know, it, it's, how do I say this? It's, uh, it's, to me, it's not important. And I, 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 I don't understand why for fiction, for one, that you have to paint your narrative in that type of manner because then it becomes one-dimensional. And I know people will argue me that, oh, no, that creates depth. No, not really. Not really. Um, because then you get stuck on one particular topic, subject, and you're stuck on it. And within, I don't know, a few months, it becomes mundane. It becomes repetitive. And <laughs> that's why, you know, I, I was reading last week, you know, they canceled a crap ton of Marvel comics. And, you know, they're not going to push it out there. They're not going to say, hey, we're going to cancel these comics. You know, that's not good business. But they are. And I'm a firm believer in don't fix what's not broken. And before all this was happening, and it's been happening for about 10 years now. Um, yeah, about 10 years, roughly. There was nothing wrong with things. And business was good. Even during the recession, you know, people were still buying comic books because they enjoyed it. Uh, according to the market, it's not too great. Speaking of market, um, <laughs> you like my segue? I, uh, I had my audits come in. And um, that's always kind of a rough thing for me. 
because I know I I pay for all this out of my pocket. Everything that you see from the Jaselmon Dark Myth Company comes straight out of my wallet. And you know, sometimes it's it's frustrating because we did a like I said, we did a big old audit um, because we're bringing back some people and some people are like, well, you know, I feel like I'm, I sold more books than that. So we literally, we stretched that sucker as far as we could um, as far as the audit. That's why it's coming out now in December and not at the end of October. And yeah, I lost a lot of money, guys. <laughs> you know, it, 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 makes you wonder you sit there and you're like why am i doing this again why am i spending thousands of dollars and not recouping hardly any of it i don't know it's that it's just a hard pill to swallow because that is the game you play in micro publishing is um, you roll the dice. And I've been doing it for a long time. And, uh, I mean, I, I had... I had one, two... I had two books. This year, I had two books that came out and have done well right out the gate. Um, then... One book has like I was I was I was so frustrated because we worked hard on this book and I, and after this I guess I'll I'll get into the the regular schedule but I'm just I'm just talking you know I'm I'm here and really nobody to talk to to get all this off so I'm just getting it off my chest on on the air huh. Um, you know, we, we worked with this one particular, uh, person and, um, he cleaned up his act and, and we got him published and we marketed him out there. We got him, you know, books to sell and he sold like three books, guys. <laughs> Oh, and I don't, I don't know, because he's falling off the wagon again, so I, it's just, I'm going to have to eat that money, you know, <laughs> oh, goodness, so yeah, sometimes you just wonder, like, why, am, am I like a masochist, do I just love the pain, you know, do I, I love the headache, I don't know. Sometimes you just, I, I don't know why. I really don't. I mean, like, as I'm sitting here right now, I know it's, like, ridiculously early in the morning. Um, I crashed out. I needed a power nap. And, and my son woke me up because we've been watching Terminator movies. So we watched a Terminator movie, and the kids went to sleep, and now I'm recording. Um, I don't know. I'm rambling. <laughs> I was going somewhere with that, but I don't remember. So anyway, I got a, a nice little happy email about being diverse in my podcast, and it's not how I play the game. It's my game. It's my dime. It's my time. 
So there's things in life that you just can't get back, and time is one of them. So let me spend my time the way I want it. You don't have to listen, and I respect that. But for those who listen, I respect more. All right, I'm done yamming. Um, <clears throat> let's see. We have got some good stuff popping up. Now, this one, literally, I opened my app and I Googled, you know, movie news. And this one was like, bam, hit you right in the face. And I was really, really stoked because... Now, I've talked about my son Jay before. And he's autistic, obviously. And when... He first, his first superhero was Spider-Man. And let me see, I'm trying to multitask here and get things ready. So his first favorite superhero was Spider-Man. And um, we, you know, that was Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man. And he, he, as a little boy, he loved the original. Then part two came out with Doc Ock. And that is his favorite. He absolutely loves part two. So I was excited to show him the news um, when I saw it. I actually sent it to him. I haven't heard anything back from him yet. I think he, well, he's asleep. But it says, Alfred Molina's Dr. Octopus returning in Spider-Man 3. Now, this to me is an interesting concept. There's there's a lot of I think they're they're leading up to trying to do a live action Spider Verse I think I think that's where they're going, um, I like that I like that because there's also there's rumors that Tobey Maguire is coming back and I think even uh, oh, Andrew Garfield's coming back too I think um, and then I heard also today that uh, Kristen Dunst was supposed to come back. So this is very all very interesting to me. Um, so let's just take a look at this article real fast and see what it says. Alfred Molina, who played Doc, Dr. Octavio Octavius in Spider-Man 2, will return as Doc Ock in Sony and Marvel Studios yet to be entitled Spider-Man 3. Alfred Molina will reprise his Spider-Man 2 role as Dr. Octo Octavius. <laughs> yeah, I get tongue-tied every time I say it. Dr. Octopus, or Doc Ock, in Sony Pictures' Marvel Studios yet to be named Spider-Man 3. News of Molina returning was confirmed by THR, backing up early reports about the actor being spotted on the set of the film. Molina's Doc Ock has... or had... His one and only appearance in 2004 Spider-Man 2, the second installment of the Sam Raimi-directed Tobey Maguire-starring Spider-Man trilogy. As Dr. Octavius, he's a brilliant nuclear scientist and a mentor to Peter Parker. However, when a fusion power project goes awry, the AI-powered robotic tentacle arms he dons to handle the hazard material malfunctions burning the inhibitor chip connected to his nervous system and causing him to go mad. As such, he turns to crime to help fund a second version of the experiment. Yes, it's so good. So stinking good. Filming for Spider-Man 3 has begun in Atlanta, Georgia, 
in late October. And while the plot of the sequel is being kept under wraps, there's still plenty that can be gleaned based on other recent casting announcements and rumors. For instance, Benedict Cumberbatch's Dr. Stephen Strange will feature in some capacity. Jamie Foxx will revise his role as Electro in From Amazing Spider-Man 2. Both of these announcements have led to many to believe that the movie will explore the concept of a multiverse, which is what I just said, which also allured to the far from home, but ultimately provided to be a ruse by Mysterio. Of course, a aforementioned Sorcerer Supreme is prepared to tackle the multiverse full bore in his own upcoming sequel, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Aside from Strange, Electro, and Doc Ock, Spider-Man 3 is rumored to bring Miles Morales' incarnation to the web-slinger into the cinematic universe. Miles was given a quick nod in Homecoming as Aaron Davis, the prowler, Miles' uncle in the comics, but a low-level criminal in the film, mentioned his he had a nephew. It's also been heavily suggested that the aforementable Tobey Maguire and fellow Spider-Man Andrew Garfield could play roles in the film. I said that too. Uh, this one is directed by John Watts, currently untitled sequel to Spider-Man Far From Home. Stars to, or, um, Tom Holland, Zardea, Jacob Battleton, Babylon, Jamie Foxx, Alfred Molina, and Benedict Cumberbatch. The film arrives in theaters December 17th, 2021. Hopefully, Corona will be gone by then. So... Yeah, I mean, that's to me, that's pretty cool because you're tapping into all these universes. Like, I'm I'm in... No, number one, I think Tom Holland is probably the best incarnation of Spider-Man. But my favorite, just because, you know, it was it, I was in my 20s. I was like in my mid-20s when it came out, was the Tobey Maguire. And I remember going... I think my my stepdad and I went to go see the first one for my birthday. I think I had turned like 24, 25 when it came out. And um, then Jay, his mom, and I um, went and seen part two. And then I remember we got a babysitter, and my my wife, my late wife, and I slipped out late late at night um totally random one of those one of those tel- random things that we used to do and just slip out at night and because we live in california you know uh they ran they ran movies all the way to like 10 11 o'clock at night so we we watched spider-man 3 um which is kind of cool because it's one of those memories that it, it's it, i remember it in detail i remember the conversations we had like driving up to the anyway so Having Tobey Maguire and that the cast of that Spider-Man come back is just, I think, it's fantastic uh, for me because it just it's very nostalgic. And I think it's very nostalgic for Jay as well and for people my age. But at the same time, the people that was around in the younger years for uh, Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man, um, 
if you loved it, that's something that you'll be able to attach to and, and bring your own nostalgia to the film. So I'm looking forward to it. I, I, I hope that it uh, it'll be a, a good incarnation because, you know, there's some incarnations that just doesn't work. And then there, there's some are. Um, and then there's some that you just like, oh, God, please let it work because it sounds so cool. Um, case in point is actually my next topic. Um, Jared Padalecki, who it was Sam uh, Winchester in Supernatural. And yes, I said that all out of memory. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, he now, obviously, Supernatural has wrapped up the 15 seasons. They've gone their way. And now, obviously, they're looking for work. And what Jared found was he found himself in a reboot of Walker, Texas Ranger. Now, when I first read it, I didn't know who Jared Padalecki is. So I was like, I don't know. Okay, I guess. I mean, you're not Chuck Norris. But then as I got to see bits and pieces of Supernatural and kind of getting myself familiar with the character of Sam. Now, I know, obviously, Jared is a different person than Sam, but it's that actor. It's the acting, the source of the acting. Um, the acting doesn't change. It's the same type of of uh, delivery that you would do. So I was like, okay, I'm in. I'm in. That's that's pretty cool. Uh, and this week, he comes up in uh, the news, the nerd news, and it's Jared Padalecki's Walker finds his best friend in Sleepy Hollow alum. I'm like, okay, okay. So Sleepy Hollow alum, Matt Barr, will portray the best friend of Jared Padalecki's Cordell Walker in the upcoming CW Walker, which premieres January 2021. Okay, here we go. This is what the article says. The CW tape Sleepy Hollow alum Matt Barr to portray the best friend of Jared Padalecki's Cordell Walker in the upcoming Walker TV series. Barr will recur on the series as Hoyt, who is described as a Hill Country's Han Solo and a Lone Star Latino, okay, according to Entertainment Weekly, uh, created by Albert S. Rudy and Leslie Griff, the original Walker Texas Ranger series starred Chuck Norris in the tacticular role and ran for nine seasons from 1993 to 2001. Inspired by the film Lone Wolf McQuaid, the series followed Norris Cordell Walker, who used his smarts and martial arts skills to fight for justice. The series also spawned a television film called Trial by Fire that aired in October 2005. The new Walker series has been described as a straight reboot and will follow Padalecki's version of the Texas Ranger as he navigates being a widower and a single father of two, as well as learns to work with his partner, Mickey who is one of the first female rangers in Texas Ranger history. After two years of undercover work away from home, Walker returns to Austin, Texas to connect with his children and look into the mysterious circumstances surrounding his wife's death. Bard joins the cast that includes Supergirl's Odette Annabelle as friend of Walker's Pretty Little, Wa- Pretty Little Liars 
Elam, Keegan Allen as Walker's brother Liam, 100's Lindsay Morgan as Mickey, and Jared's real-life wife Guinevere Padalecki as Walker's late wife, who will appear in flashback scenes. It was also recently announced that Gabriela Flores, who appeared in Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, as a friend of Cordell Walker's daughter. Okay, very interesting. Barr previously starred a weapon and articles dealer Nick Haley in Fox's Sleepy Hollow from 2014 to 2015. His other credits include The Oldest Son on the TV miniseries Hatfields and McCoys, Dan Patch in Hellcats, Christopher Soley Sullivan in Harper's Island, Derek and Ian Banks in One Tree Hill, and Ryan Lowry, Lowry in Friday Night Lights. In addition to the reoccurring role of Hoyt, Barr currently stars as Danny McNura in the CBS series Blood and Treasure. Walker stars Jared Padalecki, Lindsay Morgan, Keegan Allen, Mitch Pack. Palliyi, Molly Hagan, and Kobe Bell. Padalecki also serves as executive producer for the series, which premieres January 21st, 2021 on The CW. Walker marks Padalecki's first project since Supernatural, which aired its series finale on November after 15 seasons, is what Sean already said. So that's, you know, that I think that's pretty cool because it's... It's one of those things where, how do I say it? It just feels right. You know, there's there's times when, you know, I mean, I grew up in with Lone Wolf McQuaid, you know, um, and Delta Force, which was another great uh, Chuck Norris movie. You know, I, I grew up with Chuck Norris. I was in an bull, you know, I was involved in all, not involved, but, you know, invested in all his movies back in the 80s. Um, so there was this country feel to it. And, you know, that country feel has kind of evolved from 1980 to 2020. You know, it's, it's just a different feel. It's still country, just different feel. And... I think that Jared brings that modern country feel. So I, I'm interested and I'm, I'm already invested in finding out how he, he portrays uh, Walker. Now, I was one of the, uh, I, I think I've seen just about every single Texas Walker, or Walker, Texas Ranger. Sorry, I said that. Had a word dyslexia there for a minute. Um, yeah, my, my stepdad, Randy loved it. So yeah, we grew up on it and I was actually, I admit I was sad when it it was time to go, um, you know, wrap it up. I was like, ah, and then I was like, Oh, you know, because back in 2005, they were like, they came out for that movie and you're like, Oh, they're, they're setting it up for, you know, for a new, a relaunch, you know, they're going to pick up where they left off, but they never did. They never I, I don't know if it didn't do well or what, but yeah, but it, it could have, you know, kept on going. Um, yeah, so I'm I'm hopeful, and you know the interesting thing is too. I, I as I'm sitting here looking at the logo, 
is I wonder why they, they're not calling it Walker Texas Ranger. Um, because obviously he is. He's going to be a Texas Ranger. But I just wonder why they, they're they not going with the full title and only sticking with the name. You know, I don't know. I do not know. We will find out, most likely. But stay tuned. Um, for me, personally, I already have the CW downloaded. I had it downloaded from... Uh, <laughs> I had it downloaded from um, The Flash. I admit it. I, I used to watch it. Uh, the, the only thing that I've been watching lately, consistently, is The Mandalorian. Um, just loving The Mandalorian. And I don't have no Mandalorian news or anything. I'm just talking about how I love The Mandalorian. And, you know, there was a, a funny meme that i seen circulating online. You know, it's, it's uh, Ray and... It says, you know, you've you've destroyed the the Star Wars franchise, and then it's got the Mandalorian and Gorgu, Gorgu, which is the child's real name. Um, you know, and he's like, take it easy. Was it Mary Sue Palpatine, Space Pikachu, and I got this? And I just I died laughing because it was like, now every time I see him, you know, on the on the TV watching them, I'm, I'm waiting for him to go, you know, Pikachu, but you know, <laughs> yeah, I know we, we all know that's not going to happen, but it just, it, it struck me funny. Well, with all that said, I do have some star Wars news. Um, so I guess it was a bit of a segue kind of, but this one is for our animated and let's pop this bad boy up here. And it says, Rumor, Star Wars High Republic Animated Series in development. Yes, please. Yes. Please, sir. Can I have more? Please. More Star Wars. As long as it's as good as the Mandalorian. I, I definitely want some. Okay, let's see. We've got <clears throat> a new rumor suggests that Lucasfilms is currently developing an animated series inspired by the upcoming publishing innovative, innovative Star Wars, The High Republic. Yes. Oh. You know what's kind of weird is I'm looking at this guy. And the guy that's standing in this picture really looks like Triple H, the wrestler. But he's holding a uh, lightsaber. Eh, just... Google, let's see, Google, you know, uh, Star Wars High Republic animated series and see if that picture will stand up. It, it's, it, it's what I thought when I first saw him. Okay, here we go. The animated series inspired by Lucasfilm Star Wars, The High Republic, is rumored to be in development. According to Cinelink, Cinelinks, with an X, Links. What was originally announced as strictly as a publishing incentive has since been described as a multimedia project, with an animated series being the first major leap into the other mediums. Yeah. The High Republic takes place 200 years before the Skywalker saga. The golden years of the Republic. Claudia Gray 
Justina Ireland, Danielle Jose Older, Carava Scott, and Charles Soule are all attached to the project, which crosses between Disney, Lucasfilm Press, IDW Publishing, and Marvel Comics. The Star Wars The High Republic features a Jedi, uh, features the Jedi as we've always wanted to see them as true guardians of peace and justice. This is hopeful, optimistic time when the Jedi and the Galactic Republic are are at their height. But of course, in their inglorious new era, something wicked this way comes. Lucasfilm's publishing creative director Michael. Siglin said, This innovative will give readers new and old a new corner of the galaxy to explore through rich, meaningful stories, plus readers will learn what scares the Jedi. All right. Uh, Let's see. Star Wars The High Republic begins January 5th with Star Wars The High Republic Light of the Jedi by Charles Soule. All right, so that actually went pretty fast. Um, so they're talking about. I'm, I'm trying to find to see. Uh, I might be interested in reading that comic book too. So we'll just take a peek at that, see if we can find something on that. Um, all right, gang. Let's go ahead and just jump over into our comic book news since we're talking about comic books. Um, this one is another one. I actually I purchased it. It's downloaded on my iPad. I've not had an opportunity to read it, um, but I heard about it earlier in the week, and I nabbed this bad boy. Uh, so let me go ahead and just give you what I am talking about. Two. Batman, Icon, finally get married at the end of the DC Universe. As the Bat family reunites ahead of the Dark Knight's Dark Metal or Death Metal final battle, an impromptu wedding begins a classic superhero couple together. Hey, you know, we all we all need some love. We all need a little love. You know, a little bit of love. But anyway. All right, here we go. Warning. The following contains spoilers for the story We Fight for Love from Dark Knight Death Metal. The Last Stories of the DC Universe, number one, by Cecil Castacuti, Marca Alfredo, Andrew Dolhouse, and Cydia Toma Faniti. Now on sale. While Jason Todd may have recently made a move on Barbara Gordon in Batman Three Jokers, the most enduring Batgirl's most endure romance has always been with the original boy wonder Dick Grayson. After being an on and off again couple for decades of comic book history, Nightwing is in the midst of a recent breakup shortly after a rematch against the KG Beast, while Barbara is facing her own turmoil, upheaval in the wake of the crossover of the Joker War. And, as the heroes of the DC multiverse prepare for the final battle of this bombastic Dark Knight death metal 
Barbara and Dick decide to take the romantic relationship to the next level by getting married, even if that impromptu nuptials are technically non-binding. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. Before I go any further, uh, if you hear a cat back there, I'm sorry. It's I literally have the door shut, and he's got like his nose under my door, like whining, and I don't know why. So I apologize if you hear the cat. Okay, so then we jump back over here, and you see a hand, and it says, "By the powers invested in me by nobody, you're married, done." And then it says, "Let's give the newlyweds some space." And it says, I've got a gal I want to see about a gun. And it says, of course you do. And I can't make out, I think that looks like we, I, it looks like a Batman, but I can't make out who it is. Okay, so let's go ahead and, and see what else this says. Nightwing meets up with Teen Titans ahead of the impromptu pending battle before departing as he realizes he may very well be in the middle of the last night on Earth as the potential end of reality looms before them. As Batman assembles the Bat family to brief his various protégés on how to approach the upcoming fight against the, the army of the Dark Multiverse, Dick confesses his love for Barbara once again. Oh. Oh, uh, let's see. Only to be rebuffed to focus on the epic stakes before them. This emotional exchange continues after the Dark Knight's briefing, leading Batman to intervene with the two lovers' quarrel and settle it for good. True to form, even after becoming undead, Batman urges the couple to stop wasting precious time and just skip to the end of the little spat. With that ultimatum issued, Dick proposed to Barbara on the spot, and realizing that this may indeed be the end, Barbara accepts. With the couple's apparent consent, Batman marries the two on the spot in a single span of comic book panel. As the rest of the Bat family gives their couple their space, Barbara reminds Dick that this impromptu marriage will effectively be void even in the like unlikely event that both survive. Unfazed, Dick swears that he will win back Barbara in whatever reality or life they find themselves in next as the two enjoy their last peaceful hours together. Now this just, that sounds so freaking ominous. I'm like, yeah, you know, I know they're calling it death metal, but that sounds pretty damn metal. I really, uh, yeah. And then there's some uh, great side views of uh, Nightwing and uh, Batgirl holding each other. Nightwing's like, until I win you back. And then she's like, you think you can? And then he's like, I hope I have a lifetime left to try. Then she says, I could never stay mad at you for that long. Then he says, even when I couldn't remember deep down, I could never forget. Oh, 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 the mushy. Hashtag feelings. The feels. Okay, let's see. Uh, Dick and Barbara have always flirted with the possibility of marriage in the face of catastrophic events. 
Right before the 2005 crossover event, Infinity Crisis, Dick proposed to Barbara, which she happily accepted. In the immediate aftermath, Dick and Barbara realized they had become engaged for the wrong reasons and decided to split. A version of the two characters would get married in one of the pocket realities introduced in 2015's weekly comic book series, uh, Convergence, in a tie-in miniseries, Convergence Nightwing Oracle number one and two by Gail Simmons, or Simone, sorry, Gail Simone. Um, they faced the potential end of the world at the hands of Brainiac. With the DC heroes facing the possible end of the world as death metal nears its explosive end, many of the first thoughts ahead of the battle immediately goes to family, love, unresolved issues. The mind of Dick Grayson has gone all three topics, and all of them centered on the longtime love of his life, Barbara Gordon. And while the two have rekindled their relationship and romance, in the face of an unofficial wedding, Dick will have... They have to convince Barbara to move forward and get married for real if they both make it on the other side of the coming fight. Which I can tell you right now, it's not going to happen. Uh, if if it does, I will be so surprised. Because that's not, that's, that's not good storytelling, to be honest with you. Um, you know, it's... Uh, what's the old saying? Uh, tragedy is the best stories ever told because everybody has had, you know, some type of tragic event in their life. Um, so I am looking and we were a little ahead of time. So I'm seeing if there's anything that we can talk about. Uh, let's see. I don't know what this is, so we'll just read it and go from there, just as an extra bonus because we're a little ahead of time. The Stan's bosses reveal which story elements they hated to cut. The Stan executive producer Benjamin Kerville and Tyler Emore reveal that parts of the Stephen King's novels they regretted omitting the most. Okay. Uh, I'm, I'm preparing myself. This is this could be bad for me because you know we all know how much I love the stand. With the unabridged version of Stephen King's universally acclaimed novel, The Stand, running for well over a thousand pages, there is plenty of material that had to be removed for CBS All Access miniseries adaptation. While CBS gave the production its support to take and many episodes as it needed to adapt the epic stories, executive producer Taylor. Elmore and Benjamin Kivel decided to keep the miniseries to nine episodes. This meant to portions of the story had to be streamlined, removed to keep the narrative moving. Okay. So they literally had an endless okay. Yeah, no. I would have gone to thirteen episodes. I would have made it a whole freaking season. Just saying. <clears throat> brief. I got a brief. Got a brief. All right. Here we go. In adapting a novel, some of the stuff that we have we hated to cut. When we started thinking about some of the stuff works better in the novel, Elmore told us. 
Stephen seemed to write his novel as a, a sort of love letter to the reader, so a lot of that takes place internally. There are definitely swaves in the book where not a lot of action is happening. It's all an internal monologue. Once we start digging in, we found that we could pull out some story without really tearing into the fabric of what made it a great story. It's always painful to cut stuff. In the end, it's cleaner. We will, or we left it in there, and like a ride that never stops. Okay, well, you know. <sighs> yeah. One major element removed from the story was the kid, a violent man that transports trash can man to Las Vegas before killing or killed by wolves in the service to the overarching antagonist Randall Flagg. While the producers confirmed Marilyn Manson was considered for the part, the role was eventually cut entirely as they felt the super flatuous to the overall story. Oh, yeah, well, okay. I, I, yeah, okay. I, yeah, I get it, I get it. The big sort of excursion that we made from the unabridged version was to cut the character, the kid, at a cable. Cable. Cab, you know? Cable. C-A... It's neither cable or cable. C-A-B-E-L-L. I'm still proud that we were able to restore... For example, Rita Blakemuir, who was sort of a Larry. Oh, Larry, duh. I'm like, wait a minute. Take me for a minute. In an empty Manhattan, who played in our series by Heather Graham. Their stuff in episode two is really just beautiful. They weren't able to include her in the original miniseries. Larry gets out of New York with Nadine, which to me is a real change and real loss. I get it. They had four episodes, and we have nine. We were really proud to restore that and do some other things that could, couldn't could do, and we sort of initially, oh, that's great. They didn't do that. The kid. We'll do the kid. And yet, there's not a lot of reason for the kid to exist, and turns out, he's not really a character and is only a fraction is or the only function is to get the trash can man close to vegas but trash can man can just get close to vegas on his own he could probably find it and get there the way that he did else <laughs> i'm getting tired he gets everywhere else the stand stars Alexander Stargisgard as Randall Flagg, Whoopi Goldberg as Mother Abigail, James Martison as Stu Redman, Odessa Young as Franny Goldman, Jovan Adipo as Larry Underwood, Amber Heard as Nadine Cross, Owen Trieg as Harold Lutter, Henry Zaga as Nick Andros, Brad Williams, Hank Pinky as Tom Colin, Irene Burdard as Ray Bretner. Okay, and Hamish 
linked letter as Dr. Jim Ellis, Danielle Sanjakata as Cobb, and Greg Kinner as Glenn Bateman. The series premieres December 17th on CBS All Access, which is literally just a couple days away. Yay! So, you know what? I, 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 okay, it's not that big of a deal. Because, yeah, they cut it from, you know, the first movie. So, cutting it from the second movie is really, it's not that big of a biggie. Um, yeah, I, I think that's pretty cool. I can't wait. God, I hope it doesn't suck. Man, I hope it doesn't suck. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I don't know. <sighs> because, see, I have the unabridged version. Um, my mentor, Terry D. Shearer, he, he found out that I was a, a big Stephen King stand fan. And for my 30th birthday, he gave me the first edition, 1978. I think it's 78, 78 or 77. Um, the Stand. And, um, yeah. So, yeah, I've read it. I, I admit it. I've read it. it. Took me, oh, God, it took me years to read it. I'm like, and I won't lie, it did. It took me like three or four years to read that sucker. But I read it. And then, uh, you know, in the process, uh, of course, I've seen the the mini series. I have the Blu-ray copy right here in front of me. Um, you know what? I might watch that. Well, I don't know because that's the the week that I have to go back to work. Um, so I don't know. I maybe I I don't know if I'll go in cold or I feel like I should watch the original and then go into it. I don't know. What do you guys think? Uh, email me, mypubliclife at jaisalmon, J-A-Y-Z-O-M-O-N dot com. And tell me, should I watch? Well, obviously, I can't read the book. I don't have time to read the book. So should I watch the eight-hour, I think it's eight, seven or eight-hour TV series from the 90s? I think. Yeah, I guess, yeah, 90-something, 90 91, 92? I'd have to look. All right, gang, so now we are all caught up, and we are going to jump into this week's Toy of the Week. Now, much like Halloween, I tried to tackle Halloween with a, a horror-themed uh, figure for Christmas. I am going to do the same approach. I am approaching it with what I can find that as the holiday Christmas spirit. Um, this week is something that shot me back to as a little boy watching the stop motion clay, uh, Rudolph the red nosed reindeer, Santa. Um, you know, I know that they were originally shot in like the 1950s, 1960s. But growing up, I you know that to me was a part of Christmas was watching those specials on CBS. So I was really excited to to see one uh, pop up, and I was really happy with the price. To be honest with you, too. Uh, let me go ahead and just tell you what I'm talking about. It's Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer Santa hugging Rudolph figurine, Jim Shore. Uh, this is by Insin. And let's see, how do I pronounce it? Insco? Insco? Inesco. Duh. 
Nesco LLC. Uh, of course, the brand is Rudolph the Red News Marine Door. And um, it is a full 360 replica. And it is just adorable. And it's Santa. He's standing next to Rudolph. And it's it's from the original... Um, oh, goodness. What is it? Uh, give me a second. Let me think of it. The... Uh, Renkin? Renkin? version you know what i'm talking about you know from the 1960s uh let's see <clears throat> let me run down here okay well let's uh, well, i'll tack uh product description product description from the classic rankin base christmas special i, don't know, I forgot base but rankin um rudolph the red news reindeer comes with santa hugging rudolph as a figurine depicted from jim shore's iconic style Yes, it is. It, it's just like something right out of that. It's so cool. Product features a 6.1 by 3.15 by 4.2 inches. For you Canadians, it's 15.49 centimeters by 8 centimeters by 10.66 centimeters. Made of stone, rinsing, and LED hand-painted lights-up features. Features Santa hugging Rudolph, part of the Jim Shore Rudolph collection in the style of Jim Shore. Now, what's in the box? The box contains Santa hugging Rudolph figure. Now, let's see what we got here. Of course, like I always tell you, it is a pre-order, so I've got to give you your pre-order notes. Arrival date is an estimated and not guaranteed. No payment is due until the product is available to ship. Item may be canceled at any time before payment is collected. Now, for this bad boy, let me just tell you, it is, it, it's due, it says, in December. So... It is due any moment right now for this thing to come out. And to get your hands on one, it is $59.99. And it comes with standard shipping, which is a $4 flat rate. And you can always go to BigBadToyStore.com and type in Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer Santa Hugging Rudolph Figurine Jim Shore. And it will take you right to where this is. Get yours if you are a Christmas fanatic, well, not even if you're a Christmas fanatic, if you're someone who enjoys Christmas, then this is something that you need to get for you. Because if you if you were around in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, and you look at this, this will make you smile. Because it makes me smile. And uh, I, I, I might just buy this too. Uh, we'll see. Uh, we don't have a Christmas tree uh over in this part of the area i just might put it up for next year we'll see what happens okay gang that is everything for this week uh come back next week i don't know if i'm going to be doing uh, a commentary gig because next week will obviously be uh me at work so i'll have to record early so i'm not 100 percent sure how i'm going to run that uh, but we'll, we'll make it fun. Maybe, maybe I'll call up Russo or something and, and have a talk. I don't know yet. Um, there's always, there's always people I can talk to and we can get nerdy and maybe talk about some, some cool things. 
All right, gang, thank you for coming in this week. Uh, come back next week, and we'll see you how it turns out. Uh, we are on our way to wrapping up Season 4, and I hope that I've given you something that you look forward to each Wednesday. And uh, we'll keep going until we hit January. So for this week, for My Public Life as an American Nerd, I am David K. Montoya, and as always, I bid you adieu.